0: Welcome back to another episode of our mini series on the opioid epidemic brought to you by the IFF Health and Safety Division. My name is Sarah Burns, and I'm a Behavioral Health Specialist at the IFF. In this episode, I talk with Drew Kane from the FDNY Counseling Service Unit. Drew and I talk about how the opioid epidemic is affecting our members. Drew, start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes, hi, thank you for having me. My name is Drew Kane. I'm a Lieutenant with the New York City Fire Department. Uh, I'm currently running our Addiction Transition Program. I'm a licensed master's social worker and a credentialed alcohol substance addiction counselor.
0: Great, thanks for being here, Drew.
1: Appreciate you having me.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about the effects you've seen on your members of the opioid epidemic, it sounds like it's really coming at our members from a lot of different directions.
1: Yes, I, I think the uniqueness of uh, the uh, opioids is that it affects so many different layers of our society. Where we saw it in our children, we saw it in our coworkers, we saw it on response to the street, uh, or when we were responding to the public in the street. It's something that really didn't hit. The fire service, you know, it's different than anything else that, 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 that has hit us. And I think the continual runs and the topic and the, the fact that it's, you know, people overdose, I think that's really taking its toll on our members as far as the, their compassion for, for, you know, helping others. Mm-hmm.
0: What is the emotional toll of responding to opioid overdoses, you know, as a firefighter or EMS professional?
1: I think part of the emotional toll... Uh, that comes about is is also cloaked with the stigma the stigma lends to lack of compassion might i say where it's that the individual can do something about their addiction whereas if somebody called you who had asthma uh, where you might have multiple calls uh, because the person has a, is an asthmatic or somebody let's say that's a diabetic that has a problem adjusting their insulin You'd have a different type of compassion, right? you you would have you would have more genuine compassion, whereas somebody with an opioid addiction that you might be there several times a week to administer narcan and not understanding the system, well, why is this individual not in treatment? So I think the compassion levels there rise or change, I should say, because of the frustration. Uh, of this individual isn't helping themselves or the the misconception that they're not helping themselves when in fact they, they can't. Uh, sometimes the system just doesn't lend to it. And I think that that results in, um, let's say, compassion frustration. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So what is compassion fatigue?
1: Compassion fatigue is when you, as the helper, has run out of feeling. When compassion and you just don't have the juice anymore. You don't have the feeling to take care of another individual or help another individual. Um,
0: how would somebody know if they have compassion fatigue? What are the symptoms or what does that look like?
1: I think sometimes we, we have to remember that some of the symptoms that we experience or, or look for if we're, if you're a peer support, a supporter, a clinician, a firefighter, whatever your profession is, right? There's certain signs and symptoms that you see or look for in others. Um, I think when it comes to compassion fatigue, it's similar to what we might look for in somebody that is having, uh, struggling with, with issues in their life, with anxiety, uh, depression, different different um, disorders, right? Compassion fatigue can really easily fall into one of those categories where you feel, you know, you're dragging your feet in the morning to get out, get out of bed and go to work. Uh, you lose that enthusiasm. Sometimes people describe it as, I, I just don't care. You know, I just don't care what happens to this individual. I want to but for some reason I can't. Uh, that's how I would describe compassion fatigue. And I think you need to look out for yourself. I think one of the best ways to, you know, help yourself to work against compassion fatigue are boundaries and self-care.
0: So if someone thinks they have compassion fatigue, what can they do about it?
1: I think, you know, if you're, if you're a, a firefighter, and you think you have compassion fatigue, you know, obviously you can seek out help through uh, whatever services you might have in your department or even your family doctor, uh, you know, just find about maybe, you know, if going to someone to speak of it is necessary, which not all compassion fatigue is sometimes the best you can do at the beginning, uh, when you feel it is to um, stop working. If you can, you know, set boundaries, set definite boundaries. When you're working, when you're not working, you know, we all live in a different world of technology and cell phones, we always make ourselves available and that coupled with the helping aspect of uh, you know, we're always looking to do the right thing as firefighters, we we're the ones who are always going to say yes. So I think setting boundaries and sticking to them is the number one remedy for compassion fatigue. I think the second thing is self-care. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not have your own exercise routine, regimen, if you're not giving yourself uh, you know, some TLC, right? Kind of loving care. I know it sounds corny sometimes or doing stuff for yourself. And then you won't hopefully get into that position where you, you experience compassion fatigue.
0: Mm-hmm. And how can peer support assist with compassion fatigue?
1: As peer supporters, we go through compassion fatigue. As members, you're gonna have compassion fatigue. What we do as peer supporters is we talk to other peers. Uh, We talk about what's going on. We recommend, you know, that you meet as a group once a month to talk about things that you're experiencing, possibly even having individual sessions with somebody. So from a firefighter perspective, you know, seek out a peer, talk to a peer. when I say peer, I mean peer supporter, somebody that has some um, background in how they can assist you or guide you uh, and helping you with some of those things. Because peer support is about, you know, helping one another. Uh, I think a lot of peer support is also about taking care of situations and you don't have to take that next step sometimes of going to treatment or getting involved with a therapist. A lot of times just peer support, you know, helps the individual cope with what their current uh, environment is giving them.
0: There are a lot of words that people use that are problematic when talking about other people who have opioid use disorders or other substance use problems. Words like addict or junkie, uh, or the idea of somebody getting clean. Drew, what's the problem with these terms? And what should we be using instead?
1: You know, the problem with them is they're, on some level, they're viewed as derogatory. And they're they're also viewed as, you know, like somebody can help themselves from doing that. Or they can, um, you know, in society, we have drug courts, right? We treat drug treatment courts. And, and they wanted individuals to seek out treatment as if they haven't thought about that. You know, sometimes people want to get the treatment, sometimes I don't have the ways and means. What I what we usually talk a person in recovery, uh, seems to be the term. I, I don't know where it came from, how it was coined, but that's the phrase. Is a person in recovery. If somebody asks me, I happen to be someone in recovery, you know, I'll introduce myself as well, no, I'm in recovery. I don't look at that as a negative term. Society shouldn't look at it, but we have a long way to go with that. There is a, a, a video that's been out for quite some time now. It's called Anonymous People and it's a great video. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long. We use it in our facility. And it talks about how the more people that come forward that have uh, addiction problems and, and instead of being in that veil of secrecy and that cloak of st- stigma uh, would help others that are afraid to come forward. So I think a person in recovery is a, is a an appropriate way of addressing anybody who has an addiction issue instead of those derogatory terms, addict and junkie. Uh, I think they just are they don't have the feeling to them and they don't have the understanding to them.
0: Drew, thanks for sharing your insights today. We appreciate your work helping our members get treatment when they need it.
1: Cool. Thank you for having me.
0: To access the other videos and podcasts in this series, visit opioidepidemic.iff.org. Content was supported by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy under award number UH4E. S zero zero nine seven five nine. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the official views of the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Energy.